Lord, I want to thank you for bringing us all together here today safely. I want to thank you for everything that you've done in our lives throughout the week and for everything that we know you'll continue to do. Lord, we just ask that you come be in our midst today to worship you. In your name we pray.
Take a second, turn around and say hello to somebody.
My name's Allie, and we're glad you're here. If you're new here, go ahead and pick up one of these forms from the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes through. Hey everybody, Mark here real fast with a quick announcement. We'll be having our annual chili cook-off, which may be my favorite Sunday of the year. A um, couple of thoughts real quick. It's going to be right after the second service. $5 per person, which will include chili and salad. $2 for kids under 10, um, and it will include chili and salad. And we'll have desserts, but they're part of the fundraiser, so you'll have to purchase those. One of the ways that we raise money in this fundraiser is every vote costs a dollar. And so you can go around, you can cast a vote by placing money in the different chilies that you like. Hopefully we'll see you guys to be trying out this really awesome chili. Here's Allison with some... This is chili. With chili. See you guys then. Bye. Thanks for watching the announcements. If you need any more information, go to our website or pick up a bulletin. Thanks for being here and enjoy the service. Good morning, kids. Good morning, kids. You guys alive or what? Is it going to be summer or winter today in Ohio? A little both? It's going to be what? Spring today? Uh, let's see. I want you to keep in prayer. Uh, there's a family that comes to our church. They usually sit over here in the first service. It's a lovey family, and um, um, they've, they've lost two babies in two years. Okay, They, they had a baby that's born died last year, a little boy named Logan. And then uh, a few weeks ago, a little girl named Nellie Grace was born, and she died. So they're having a funeral visitation here, 530, I think, Tuesday night. So just keep them in prayer. That's just a tough deal for them and their grandparents. And so also pray for my my family, my uncle passed away in California. He was 92 years old. He's my mother's baby brother. My mom will be 95 April the 5th. So, so anyway, so pray for, pray, pray for my mom. I got, I get to do fun stuff, you know. Like I call my brother, he goes, well, you my brother lives with, he, he wants me to come and tell my mom. He didn't want to tell her, so I go tell my mom. So then my aunt uh, is in a retirement center, so I got to tell her yesterday too. And so my mom's 95, he was 92, my aunt's 88. So, and, and pray for my cousins because they've never been around anyone who died. Their dad was 92 years old. So I'll just, just pray for them. And, uh, and if you're in my class Monday night, we're not having class. So, okay. So, um, and also we went and saw the Jesus film, the Jesus revolution. Go see it. Okay. It's, it's where we came from. We, the vineyard came out of Calvary Chapel. And so it was in, from California. So it's, it reminds me of my teenage years. So you'll see how freaky I was if you watch that, that, that movie. All right. I'm still freaky. So let's say a prayer and ask God to bless the offering. And uh, then we'll do our thing and we'll eat some chili. So it's it's great. So, Lord, we just thank you for today. God, we ask these uh, that you just give comfort to those who've lost loved ones. I pray for for, for my, mom, my mom and my, my aunt. I ask you to be with them. Uh, bless the offering. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry.
matters. We're going to... Morning. How we doing? You guys ready for chili cook-off? All right. So there's a typo on the outline. We are not going to be turning to the book of matters. I wish we could, but I couldn't find it. So it's Matthew. Matthew 3 is where we're going to be at. That's my fault. And uh, we're beginning the season of Lent. So there's kind of two major seasons within the, the, the church calendar. There's the season of Advent where we begin the journey to move towards Christmas and prepare our hearts for the birth of Christ. And then there's the season of Lent, which is a 40-day period where we begin the journey towards Easter. But there being this season of, of repentance before that. And so the church fathers and mothers had the insight to, to arrange the year so that we as communities travel throughout, we, we travel with the life of Christ throughout the year. Does that make sense? And so we, we try to, in some sense, uh, follow this pattern every year with Advent and Lent and then having kind of just regular seasons in between. And so today we're going to be starting this journey of following uh, in the footsteps of Jesus, uh, making our way towards Easter. Good? And we got chili. And I think that Evan and Isaac are going to win the hot. They tricked me last night into tasting it. You think James is, where you at James? You gonna win it? He's not painted. James ain't painted. <laughs> James is in James's own world right now, thinking about chili. Anyway, they tricked me last night into trying the chili, and it was terribly hot last night, so it can only be hotter this morning, I imagine. Good? So, um, let's take a few moments just to kind of center our hearts and minds quietly, and then we'll uh, begin. So, let's just take a, a moment to just be Uh, Quiet and still before the Lord. So, Father, we meet you here in this stillness. We carry worry and grief and anxiety and pain into this room. Distractions from our weeks. And so we just take this moment to hand it to you. We ask that you just meet us here this morning. We ask that you just open our hearts and minds to these passages and that you reveal to us how it relates to our lives and how you're moving in among us, guiding us as we live this life. So we ask that you just bless our time. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Matthew chapter 3, it says this. 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Well, Paul's right there. John was a prophet. He began his ministry before Jesus. He's Jesus' cousin, and he was a crazy person. Says that he hung out in the wilderness and wore camel's hides and leather belt and ate, ate like insects. And he had a particular way that he saw the world, and he had a particular way that he saw his people. For the Israelites, for the Jewish people, their understanding was that their God was the one and only true God. And yet, something was wrong. The, the problem was that the, the Romans were occupying their land. And so the way that John saw this and interpreted this was that obviously these people had gotten off track. They had, they had sinned against God. They had broken their covenant. And the reason, and the reason why God had allowed the Romans to come in and occupy the, this place is because they were out of relationship with God. Does this make sense to you guys? So this is the way that John saw the world. This is the way John saw his, his people. And so he had this fire within him to call the people back. And so it says that he was out in the wilderness and he was calling them to repent, to come out to the Jordan and to be baptized. Now this is significant because it was through the waters of the Jordan that the Israelites first passed through to come into the promised land. And so they come through the Jordan into the promised land and for thousands of years had lived in this land. Obviously, there have been a number of things that had happened within their history. But here they are, the Romans occupying them. And so John takes it upon himself, believing it to be his life mission, to call the people to repent, to come out into the Jordan, be baptized, be cleansed, and then to go back in a new so that God would bless them, provide for them, protect them, and free them from the the occupying powers of Rome. Does this make sense? And so this is what he believed was his life mission. He believed that if he could tip the scales and get enough of his people to repent, that this would make the way for the Messiah to come. And so... He's out there calling people to repent. And they are coming out of the cities. They're coming out of the land into the Jordan, being baptized, and then going back into their regular lives. And it says this, that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? It says that Jesus replied, Let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Which, that's a crazy sentence, by the way, right? Isn't that a confusing sentence? Let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this, so we fulfill all righteousness. And so John consented. So this raises this question. It makes sense for you and I to be baptized, right? It makes sense to me. Because if I'm honest about my life, there have been moments where I've been out of right relationship with God. I've done my own thing. There's been times where I'm out of right relationship with other people. And so it makes sense for me, for Mark to be baptized. I I need to be cleansed of my sins. And it probably makes sense for you, and it makes sense for John to call these people to be baptized. 
But doesn't, it doesn't really make sense for Jesus, right? Because from our perspective, there's no reason for Jesus to be baptized. He's in right relationship with God. He's in right relationship with the people in his life. Why would the Son of God need to be baptized? And so perhaps what's going on here is this. By entering into the waters of repentance, Jesus chose to live in solidarity with all humanity. You and I, we who are vulnerable, we who are mortal, we who are sinful, we who fall short. Instead of holding himself apart as some perfect, untouchable being who looks down on us from afar, he plunged into the waters with us. This is why the first Christians called this message good news. It's because God doesn't stand apart from you and I. He doesn't stand at a distance and judge us. He joins us into the waters, into the, the, the mystery and misery that our lives can often be. He gets in it with us. And so Jesus is baptized so that we can be, so that he can be with us. Does this make sense? He's taking on our strife. He's taking on our problems. He's taking on our grief. He's becoming fully with us in it. It's called the incarnation. It's the good news of the Christian faith. But it doesn't stop here. It says that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And that at that moment, at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus joins us into the waters. He joins us in his humanity. And then as he comes out, there's this announcement that is made. Matthew records for us that the heavens split open and and, and a a dove alighted on, on Jesus. And it was the Spirit of God and there was this announcement from heaven. This is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And so perhaps you can say it like this. In Jesus' act of loving and identifying with the brokenness of humanity through baptism. You can go to the next one. Jesus' true identity is revealed by the declaration of the Father's love for the Son through the Holy Spirit. As Jesus chooses to identify with us, God makes this declaration of how proud he is of his son for making this choice. This makes sense. Perhaps I could say it like this. When I've told you guys this story before. Several years ago, we lived across the river, and, and there was this park. And we would take, I would take my son there to play at this park all the time. And then we moved from there. And some things had happened, and it was a mess. And... Uh, so I bought some trash bags and stuff because I planned on going over and cleaning it up because people complain on Facebook. But, but, you know, what's really important is actually trying to do things 
for instead of complaining, actually do something about it. So I pick up Evan. I said, hey, bud, the castle park's a mess. What do you think we should do? You know what he said? He says, because we are Wolfenbargers and because we are Christians, we should go over there and clean the place. For however many years, seven, eight years, been raising him up and telling him who he is, right? But when he said yes, steps, he stepped into the waters, right? Instead of standing at a distance and judging it like we all choose to do most of the time, he chose to step into the waters of it. And in that moment, as a father, I was terribly proud of this choice. Does that make sense? Jesus chooses to step into the waters of our brokenness. And in that moment, the father sees this movement of Jesus and is very proud of what he has done. And so Jesus is baptized. Jesus gets baptized. But we're walking in the footsteps. That's, that's the study this Lenten season is walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And so we are also called to step into the waters of baptism. And so how does Jesus' baptism connect us to our, or how does our baptism connect us to Jesus' baptism? This is my thoughts on this. When we join Jesus in the waters of baptism, we are declaring that we have died to our singular sinful self. The singular sinful self likes to stand at a distance and judge. Yeah? I'm not a part of that. I stand over and above it and I can make judgment on it, right? But when you and I, we choose to identify with Christ through baptism, we're saying no longer are we going to stand at a distance and make judgments on the mess this world is in. What we are saying is that, no, we are choosing to die of that, of that opinion or, or option, and we're connecting ourselves to Christ. We are now joined to the one who is joined to all. The one who identifies with every human being and who leads us into the awareness that like him, we too are a beloved child of God. So what God pronounces over Jesus, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. He announces over all of us when we say yes to the waters and connect ourselves to the mess and say that we are going to participate in a resurrected life of bringing healing to a broken world. Good? Make sense so far? Okay. And so in the waters of baptism, Jesus' identity is declared. In the waters of baptism, our identity is declared. But here's the thing. What is declared in the waters of baptism is tested in the wilderness of life. What God speaks over us in the waters of baptism is continually tested in the wilderness of our life. And so the story continues. In Matthew 4, it says that then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Matthew was also Captain Obvious, by the way. 
It says that the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, It was written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And then Jesus answered him. He says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says, this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. And so Jesus faces three temptations in the wilderness. He faces the temptation of appetite. He tasted, he's hungry. He needs food. Hey, make yourself some food. But he chooses not to. He takes him to the top of the temple and says, hey, throw yourself down from here. If God loves you, he'll, he'll protect you. He'll, he'll um, send his angels to catch you. This would actually be a great way for you to start your ministry, by the way. Right? So there's that temptation of approval. You know, you might, you're right. This might be a really good way to start my ministry. But he says no to that. And then he takes him to a top of a mountain. And it gives him this idea of an ambition. Hey, here's the thing, man. You don't, you don't have to go this route of suffering and cross to be the king. I can, I own all of this. I'll just give it to you. Just bow down and worship me. And he says no to that. In the wilderness, Jesus is confronted with three temptations and the lies behind them. Now, here's the thing. Not only are these the temptations that Jesus faces, but these are the temptations that we all face. And these are the universal temptations of humanity. Appetite, approval, and ambition. Appetite is rooted in fear. The fear that I'll never have enough. You guys deal with this? I deal with it at least once a month when I'm trying to figure out how to pay the bills. Right? I don't have enough to pay the bills. I don't have enough to do, or whatever it is. That fear, that fear that I don't have enough, that my father hasn't provided for me. That doubt that I carry around in my mind. Approval. Sometimes we struggle with approval. And approval is, is, is rooted in shame. Wondering what other people will think of me. Yeah? Wondering if I am loved. Wondering if I'm, if, if I'm accepted. De- wrestling with this question of I'll never be enough. And then the third one is ambition, which is rooted in guilt. That I, you know, I should be further along than I am now. Right? Ever, ever wrestle with that one? Like I, I'm, I've never accomplished enough. And so Jesus faces these temptations. Now, it's interesting that we live in a particular culture and time, and this, within our culture, these temptations have manifested in a particular way. Perhaps you could look at it like this. The way that appetite is manifested in our culture is through consumerism. 
the way that approval has manifested in our culture is through celebrity, and the way that ambition has manifested itself in our culture is through competition. So let's just walk through these for a minute. You guys good, by the way? Need a commercial? I don't have one, but consumerism. We're reading a book right now, and in the book there was a statistic that in 2006 that the average commercials that you and I would watch was 2,500 commercials in a, in a day. That was in 2006. I watch a five-minute YouTube channel or YouTube video now, and there's at least six commercials within that, right? So there's no telling how many commercials you see in a day. And what are those commercials trying to sell you? Well, mainly they're selling you this. The reason why you're miserable, they make you feel miserable, I start there, is because you don't have whatever it is that they're trying to sell you. Yeah? This is the basic formula. It's predicated on fear. The fear of missing out. The fear of not having enough. The fear of, of missing out on happiness because you don't have the stuff that this company is trying to sell you, right? Ever struggle with this? And, and so we're bombarded with this all the time. Like my daughter, a couple of weeks ago, she wants to get Jordans. And so we went to look at Jordans, and I was like, what? I, don't, I must be out of the loop. Like, I didn't realize how expensive shoes are. And I was like, okay, well, we're going to have to save for Jordans, right? And there's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with having stuff at all. It becomes a problem when the stuff begins to own you. Does that make sense? It becomes a problem when the stuff that we own begins to own us. And and so we struggle with this consumerism. We're bombarded by it. Our culture is set up on it, by the way. That's how capitalism works. Me and Dad were talking about this after World War II. uh, uh, People in, in a higher... Uh, political seats began to to realize that, hey, if we're going to really begin to grow our economy without war, because war helps fuel economies, is that we're going to have to make the stuff cheaper or not as the quality on our stuff that we buy has to go down so that it breaks so that we buy more, right? Remember being at your grandma's house and she'd had the same refrigerator for 40 years? Yeah, because stuff used to work. And then the powers that be decide, hey, we need to make stuff a little less quality so that it breaks, so that we can fix it, so that we can buy more stuff, so that we can keep the economy going. Yeah? Does it make sense? Whatever. It is what it is. I have no judgment here. What I'm saying is this. It's a system. It's a cycle that we can all get trapped in. And it's the, the temptations that we face all the time. Yeah? So there's appetites. There's consumerism. And it's those temptations that we face. The way that approval has manifested itself in our culture is through celebrity. Now, 20 years ago, this didn't, this was a little bit tougher, but here's the thing. With the advent of social media, we can all be celebrities. Right? You guys have followers? You do. I know you got followers. And we're tempted. Like, I know how I am. I like to post something funny, and you know what I do? I post it, and then I wait. 
And I want to see how you guys respond to what I've posted. Because if you guys think I'm cool, then I'll think I'm cool. Right? My my daughter and my lovely wife back there, they've figured out formulas for this. They know what times are the best times to post to get the most traffic. And if their posts aren't getting enough traffic, they'll take them down and post them later, right? And so you have Facebooks and Instagrams and TikToks. I like to add an S to all of it because it sounds like I'm old when I say it that way. And Annabelle will do her TikToks, and she has her dances that she do. And sometimes she'll drag me into the dances. By the way, when I make an appearance on her TikToks, her views go up. (laughs) Just saying. Right? But what do we do? We put on this facade. We show this fake reality of what our lives, we want you to think our lives are like. And we're all tempted and pulled into the trap of being little celebrities because we're seeking the approval of other people. Yeah? And then the last one is ambition and competition. And this manifests itself a number of ways, but like in the workforce, it's, it's cutthroat and stab each other in the back. And I was just having a conversation about a friend here who lost a job, or not lost a job, but lost a contract. Somebody came out and under, undercutted them, and they're going to lose quality. And, and so they're choosing money over quality and the competition. And we all have to deal with these types of things, having to deal with layoffs because choices are made. And these are the temptations that we all face in this culture. How do we deal with these temptations in our world? Well, the Scriptures actually give great wisdom this in a in a in a culture that struggles with the temptation of appetite and consumerism one of the ways that we can navigate this is learning the ancient discipline of fasting i'm going to take a fast from this do i really need to buy this maybe not Or maybe there's a substance abuse. It's got its claws in me. Well, one one wise thing about fasting in general is sometimes you say no to the things that that you can control. And when you say no to things that you can control, it gives you the ability to say no to things that you can't control. It, like, builds something up inside of you. Does this make sense? And so whether it's individually, we just are having a problem with something and our appetites are overrunning us, or if it's corporately in the sense of, hey, I live in this huge system that's constantly bombarding me with trying to buy things that I don't need. Learning to say no and fasting from those things might be the types of wisdom that we need to navigate the complexities that we face. Yeah? Make sense? And so fasting is one way that we can deal with appetites. What about approval and the the myth of celebrity? Well, Jesus has an interesting thing that he says that if you do something good for somebody, don't tell anybody about it. 
don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, or vice versa, however, however the saying goes, right? And so if you do something nice, you don't have to post it on Facebook. You don't have to take your picture with a poor person as you give them soup, right? Don't you hate that when people do that? You don't have to tell people the good things that you do. You don't have to announce it. I know that as a church, sometimes we take photos of us doing things out in the community, and we do that to to spread the good news and to to be positive and stuff. But I always, there's like something in my gut that like says, ah, we shouldn't be doing this. Like it should just be a secret. Yeah, does that make sense? And so learning how to do things not for the approval of other people, but learning how to do things simply for the approval and the glory of God. And that's how we deal with this cult of celebrity that we face in this culture and this fear of, of seeking and needing the approval of other people. And then when it comes to ambition and competition, instead of instead of knocking other people down so that you can get to the top, Jesus calls us to be what? Servants. What does a servant do? A servant actually helps other people get to the top. And so instead of seeing the people in your office as competition for the next raise, how can you be the type of person in the office to help them get their job done? Instead of seeing people as maybe, you, maybe you're managing people, instead of seeing them as just, hey, they, they got to help me do like. What would it look like to take interest in their life and help them get to the next place? Because maybe they don't want to be in that job for the rest of their life. Maybe they have hopes and dreams, and maybe your job is to help them get to that next place. And and so instead of competing with one another and being ambitious, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. But when you do it for your own individual purposes, it can become a problem. So instead of competing with one another, what would it look like for us to serve one another, cooperate with one another, help people get to where they want to be? Yeah, does this make sense? Now, these are the three temptations that we all face. These are the three temptations that Jesus faces in the wilderness. But here's the thing. There's an underlying temptation that is behind all of these, and it's this. If you are the son of God. The ultimate temptation behind these three is the temptation of, are you really, are you, does God really love you? It's that that temptation of our identity, the question, the seed of doubt that is planted in this moment. And this is the way the enemy always works. This is the way... The accuser always works, even in the garden, what is going on. The serpent speaks this, well, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from that tree? Because here's the thing, I think he's holding out on you. If you eat from that tree, you're actually just going to be like him. You're not going to die. And what does he do? He plants a seed of doubt in their minds. So we're out in the wilderness. Ah, really? God really loved you? Because Jesus is probably hungry. It says that he was. Hey, you know, God's not really going to provide for you, but hey, if you're the son of God, you could probably make this food, these stones into bread. So won't you do it? But what's really going on is the question of his identity. And so Jesus, the way that he deals with it 
is that he remembers who he is. Jesus overcomes these temptations by trusting what God has said about him. The way that you and I, we deal with the temptations in our lives is remembering who we are and whose we are. Because I don't know about you, but I have this stuff roll around in my head all the time. You know? If God really loved me, well, we'd probably have a better house. You know? If God really loved me, then all these things wouldn't be happening. You guys struggle with this one? I know that I do. This is something that rambles around in there all the time. If God was really real and he really loved us, then why do we have to face the stuff that we're facing? And why is the world such a mess? And what the enemy does is the enemy encourages us to question who God is and who we are and what that relationship is about. What Jesus does is he, he overcomes this by trusting in what God says about who he is. Because here's the thing. When we doubt who we are in Christ, we allow our brokenness to define our identity. When we doubt who we are in Christ... We allow our brokenness to define our identity. Like for me, I'm just dumb, hillbilly denying. I'm like, I'm a hillbilly denier, meaning I'm a hillbilly, but I try not to be. I'm just a dumb hick from Franklin that. Barely graduated high school, flunked out of college twice. I constantly deal with being afraid. I constantly deal with with trying to get people to like me, and so I make conversations terribly awkward and weird. Because I'm trying to make you like me, but I'm going too far, and I make it worse. Or I'll say something stupid. Right? Does this make sense? Got big ears. I got a real weird eye that's googly. I remember my I remember I got my senior pictures done and I was like, is that what my eye looks like? I was like, I didn't know it looked like that. Gosh. Um You guys been watching this chili cook off commercial? Can't I can't do it. I have to walk out of the room. I get complete, completely embarrassed of myself. Like, what am I doing? Yeah? You guys like this? <laughs> I go on. I go on all day. If I forget who I am in Christ, then that's what I, that's what I got left. The brokenness of who I am or the way that I see myself. And that's a crippling reality if we allow that thing to drive the bus. And so when we find ourselves in the wilderness of our lives... We have to remember who we are and who God says we are. And we can't allow ourselves or anyone else to define who we are. Good? So it leads us to how did Jesus then deal with these temptations? Well, when it comes to appetite, 
In choosing to trust God and his in choosing to trust God in his time of need, Jesus shows us how we can truly be satisfied. Jesus had the ability to make that those stones into bread. He actually does something terribly similar later on in the wilderness when there was other people around. He just doesn't do it for selfish reasons. He does it to help other people. And so Jesus trusts. He chooses to trust God in this moment, in his time of need. And by doing so, he shows us that you and I, we can truly be satisfied. We don't have to have that brand new car. We don't have to have all that stuff. You do not have to be addicted to that thing any longer. You can be free. We can be free. We can trust that God has us, and we can find real satisfaction in that. When it comes to approval, in choosing to be rejected, and I would say it like this. The enemy says, here, throw yourself down so you can receive the the approval of men. Instead of doing that, Jesus chooses the humble path. And by choosing the humble path, the humble path leads to a rejected path. Because he shows up as king in a way that no one expected him. And they're like, nah, this isn't how a king should be. We're going to kill this guy instead. And choosing to choose this humble, rejected path, Jesus shows us that we are all truly accepted. And so we learn to receive God's approval and love and not have to worry about what other people think. And then when it comes to ambition and choosing to be the least, to be with the least and the last, Jesus shows us who he considers to be first in his kingdom. There was the, the, you know, just bow down to me and you can have all of this. But instead, he chooses not to be with all the, the kings and, and governors and all of those. He chooses to be with the least and the last. And by choosing that, he shows us what his kingdom is truly like and who is truly welcome. Good? Make sense? A lot to that, I know. I'm hungry. You guys hungry? All right, we're done then. All right. Good job, guys. Two questions. What's God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? When it comes to identity, when it comes to the waters of baptism, when it comes to the temptations of life, what's God saying to you? What's one thing that you can do about it? So we'll take a few moments simply to reflect on this, and then we're going to share communion together. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, that you speak to our hearts in these next few moments.
All right, amen. If you have one of these, grab it and take it out. Every week we take part in this this meal to be reminded that we are accepted at the Lord's table. And our custom here is that we practice an open table. And so if you're willing to take part, you're welcome to take part. It's a family meal that we are all welcome to partake in. And we pray this prayer every week to, to center our hearts and our minds. And so pray this with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. It was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the blood of new covenant that's been shed for you. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Later, reflecting on this, the Apostle Paul said that every time that you and I, we gather and we take this bread and we drink from this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns, which means we remember what Jesus did, that he was broken and poured out for the sake of the world, and that we're reminded that you and I, we are called to do the same, to be broken and poured out for the people in our lives. And so take the bread and look to the person next to you and tell them the body of Christ that was broken for you. Now the cup, the blood of Christ is shed for you. All right. Amen. Let's all stand. If you're sticking around for the chili cook-off, any directions here, Pat, or just stand by to stand by? All right. That was the Marine, Marine in me right there. I'm sorry. <laughs> Grab hands with the person next to you if you like. And we pray and go home or stay and eat. So, Father, we just thank you for this, this Jesus and the path that he walked. May we learn to walk in those steps. And so we ask that you just be with us this week as we go. We ask that we be good news to the people around us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you guide us and keep us. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. See you guys.